Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we catch up on the FIFA World Cup qualifiers for Africa, with Senegal and Morocco, the first teams to make it through to the final playoff stage. And this week, we'll hear from the most expensive African player ever. That's Nigeria's Victor Osimen, who moved to Italian Syria A side Napoli from French club Lille last year for $96 million. And of course, uh, I'm happy to be the most expensive African player in the history of football. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm really happy about this feat and I want to continue to, to work harder so I can get even much higher. That's coming later and lots on the English Premier League as we unpack the takeover of Newcastle United and what it could mean for the club. But let's start with the FIFA World Cup qualifiers for Africa with two more rounds of games having been played in the last few days. The final two rounds are on next month and only the group winners qualify for the final playoff round. Uh, so much to talk about. Senegal and Morocco are the first teams to make it through to the playoff round, winning their groups with two games to spare. Uh, Morocco doing so as, uh, strangely, Guinea hosted them in a home game away from home, which was played in Morocco. Algeria and Burkina Faso are level on 10 points in Group A. Algeria now 31 matches unbeaten after beating Niger 4-0 on Tuesday, with Islam Slimani becoming their all-time leading goalscorer as he netted twice in a 6-1 thrashing of Niger a few days earlier. Other big names on target included Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for Gabon in a 2-0 win over Angola, but the Panthers are out of contention in Group F, with the Mohamed Salah captain Egypt getting two wins over Libya to take control of the group. Aubameyang's Arsenal teammate Thomas Partey scored with a free kick here in Harare as Ghana had back-to-back wins over Zimbabwe, but it's South Africa leading Group G by a point. The battle continues in Group D. That's the toughest group as Cameroon won 1-0 away to Mozambique and Ivory Coast beat Malawi 2-1. Goals from Nicolas Pepe and Frank Kessie. The Elephants are on 10 points, the Indomitable Lions on 9. And Nigeria got their campaign back on track with a 2-0 win away to the Central African Republic, having lost to them a week earlier in Lagos. Leon Balogun and Victor Osimen on target for the Super Eagles. We'll hear from Osimen later on in the show. And Mauritania fired their French coach Corentin Martin after a 0-0 draw with Tunisia, which saw them eliminated. Well, let's go back to Senegal, impressing with four wins from four so far after they beat Namibia 3-1 in a game played in South Africa with a hat-trick for Turkey-based striker Famara Dedou. The star-studded team included Edouard Mendy, Sadio Mane, Ismail Assar and Idrissa Gay, to name just a few. And coach Aliou Sisse was asked through a translator if they'd expected to qualify this early. They were really expecting this. By the grace of God, they got it. Considering the team of Senegal, with all the big players they have, they could not think otherwise. So thanks to God, they managed to have the qualification, which they were really expecting. And he is, thank you also, at the same time, Senegalese population, Senegalese people who are behind the team. They have been there. So he's congratulating also all those officials from Senegal. Yeah, through already. That's the Senegal coach Aliou Cisse. Uh, so, Ida, what stood out for you in these latest games? 
Well, Steve, Morocco qualifying for the playoffs there, but certainly not without their fair share of strange happenings, you know. It has been an interesting international window for them, you know, first with the alleged food poisoning of the Guinea-Bissau team. That was right before they faced the Atlas Lions. And uh, let's not forget that Morocco had their previous qualifier in Guinea postponed that was after they had to, you know, pretty much up and flee the country. You know, that was because of the military coup. And now, as a result, Guinea had to host Morocco in Rabat, Morocco, in the postponed games. So it's quite, quite interesting. And Guinea-Bissau also ceded home advantage. That was due to lack of a proper CAF-approved stadium in Bissau. They ended up hosting Morocco. Where else? But in Morocco, (laughs) though, this time it was in Casablanca. So my oh my, what chaos, what confusion, especially logistically. But I am sure in the end, it had to have been convenient, you know, for the Atlas Lions, not having to travel to great lengths, but still a wildly confusing situation all round. Also, the back and forth in Group D, which ironically is the group of death, has been quite interesting. I mean, we saw Cameroon go top momentarily. That was after their 1-0 win over Mozambique, before the Ivorians then went and dethroned them altogether after beating Malawi 2-1. So this one, I foresee at least, might go to the wire, Steve. And it will be interesting, you know, to see whether... Cameroon will rue that early loss to the elephants or if Ivory Coast will mess up in the last hurdle and Cameroon maybe capitalize, we'll all see that in the coming weeks. And an own goal gave South Africa the lead in their group. And might that be the difference, you know, between Bafana Bafana going through over Ghana's Black Stars? There are so many cards up in the air, Steve, and I'm curious as to where they'll all fall. Yes, there's so much to be decided in the final two rounds of matches next month. Now, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, we're going to hear from the most expensive African player ever. That's Nigeria's Victor Osimen, who moved to Italian Syria outside Napoli from French club Lille last year for $96 million. Osimen is 22. He's a centre-forward. He has seven goals in eight games in Syria A and in the Europa League so far this season. He also has two goals in the ongoing World Cup qualifiers. Osimhen shone at the 2015 Under-17 World Cup in Chile as he took the Golden Boot and Silver Ball Awards as the Golden Eaglets won the title. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji spoke to Osimhen and first asked if he's feeling the pressure from the fans with the World Cup qualifiers ongoing and also with the fans looking forward to the Africa Cup of Nations in January. There is no pressure in the team and uh, because we have a very good organization in the team and there is a lot of uh, solidarity in the team. And uh, of course, um, it's important for me to be an important player in, 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 in this team. And of course, I, I waited for my turn because I watched Igalo take the... Uh, carry the, the team on his shoulder and everything like that so it was important for me also to, to try to learn one or two things from him and of course the Nations Cup is coming uh, in, in January and uh, a, lot of, a lot is being expected from us because we have a very good uh, good good team and uh, individual quality also and uh, I think uh, there is no pressure at all and I think the, the team is ready come January. Are you aware that um, a lot of people expect so much from you? You mentioned Igalo. He finished as the top scorer in qualifying, ended the tournament as top scorer, 
finish the qualifying joint top scorer? Does that put you under pressure knowing you're wearing jersey number nine? <laughs> no, I think uh, Gallo did well for for this for this country in terms of um, of football and, and some other things he's been doing. And of course, um, I think he, he wanted to win the the Afcon for for Nigeria and also be the highest goal scorer. Uh, in the tournament, but he only got one, and which uh, um, I was really happy for him because he worked so hard to to achieve this feast. And of course, uh, to put on the night is a, is, a, is a big big one for me. But I think I can I can feel in in his shoes, and if not uh, fully, I think I can I can try my possible best to try and meet up with what he is the record he has set in, uh, when he was playing for for the Super Eagles. And and I think um, for me, I think I have the quality and the ability to 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 surpass him also. When you look at yourself five years ago, seven years ago, I mean, a skinny boy, you know, just trying to get his career off the ground and trying to get something out of football. To now think five years later, the most expensive African footballer ever, drug bad that you, your height didn't even get that much. What does, what does that make you feel like? I think for me, it, uh, all is just a childhood dream. For me to become a professional uh, player is, has been my, my childhood dream. And of course, I, I, I never knew this, this transfer is going to happen or something like huge like this is going to happen. I just want to succeed through football and, and, and do, and do well for myself and that of my family and few of my, my friends. But, you know, I took DJ Drogba as my, as my role model while I was growing up. And I, and I think uh, watching him a lot and the kind of mentality he has in, in terms of football has really helped me a lot to get to, to where I am today. And of course, uh, I'm happy to be the most expensive African player in the history of football. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm really happy about this feat and I want to continue to, to work harder so I can get even much higher. If young stars are listening to you finally now, if young stars are listening to you now, what are, what, what are the messages you say to some, someone who's just like you, like seven years back, listening to Victor Osime right now? I think for me, I would um, advise them to stay true to themselves. Secondly, uh, to put God first. And thirdly, I think for me, in football education is more important, it's paramount when you're playing football because, uh, no matter the talent, if you, if you're not educated, I think, uh, you will just be, you will just be used in, in, in this football, football part. But I think, uh, for me, if I want to advise a youngster trying, trying to achieve his dream through, through football, I think it should, there is no matter what, there will be failure, there will be rejection and all sort of, People talking down on, on his ability and his quality. Uh, you don't know how to play. You, you cannot make it in football. You should just keep your head up and, and keep working hard and praying and putting God first without wishing anyone evil. I think, uh, of course, uh, success is going to come their way. You talk so much about God, religion, faith, and all that. A Christian, right? Yeah, of course. Do you have a favorite, um, you know, verse in the Bible or some, some, some sort of psalm that you read or something that motivates you? Uh, psalm 91 is all, is what I used to, to recite before I sleep and, uh, when I wake up also because, uh, God has really done a lot for me. And even when I haven't made it in, in life, I knew I was going to make it because I had so much faith in God and he, he has never for once failed me. Well, that is the most expensive African footballer ever, Nigeria and Napoli centre-forward Victor Osimen, speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji, uh, mentioning their Psalm 91 in the Bible, which says, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Well, the best is yet to come from Osimen, surely, and he's got an absolutely great strike rate so far this season. And Ida, it's interesting, this progression of the tag of the most expensive African player ever, as we must point out that a transfer inflation is a big factor here. 
Well, it's a huge factor, Steve, with the biggest contributor definitely being the transfer fees. Then you add on the bonuses or the add-ons. And Steve, I would like to address the add-ons for a second here. I mean, it's a term that's often used in these sorts of discussions, but not one that everyone necessarily understands. Now, add-ons are the residual amounts, if you will, you know, stated in contracts that are then paid on certain conditions being met. So let's say player X's new club qualifies for the Champions League or gets to certain stages of the competition. Let's even say uh, that it happens sometimes even with the player hitting certain milestones at the club, you know, say 100 appearances, etc., etc., in O'Simmons' case, for example, it said that the fees made up around 85% of the entire amount. Additionally, the Nigerian went from earning close to £100,000 a month in France to earning more in a week in Italy. And before that was uh, Nicolas Pepe to Arsenal from Lille. That was at around $89 million. There was Cedric Bukambu as well. Remember him, Steve, the Congolese who went from Villarreal to Beijing Guan in 2018. Now, some said that he pretty much went from visibility to obscurity. But, Steve, if obscurity is paying well over 300,000 euros weekly, then I would imagine that many <laughs> would want a slice of the Chinese Super League. Anyway, Steve, you compare this with the 90s, for example, you know, tracking back to 1998 specifically, when PSG paid £14 million to Fenerbahce for J.J. Okocha. That made him then the most expensive African player. And you start to see just how far things have come and also how far they probably will go. And uh, just a quick one for context. Well, the most expensive player in the world, Steve, is still Neymar Jr., and that is with his mind-boggling 222 million euros to PSG. That was back in 2017. So this also goes some way to show you the disparity that still exists. Yes, a huge figure that, and with transfer inflation, it doesn't mean that the most expensive players are the best ever, but Victor Osimhen, certainly a player who can do great things. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Right to social media now, and last week we asked, do you think that Mohamed Salah is the best player in the world right now? The former Blackburn Rovers striker Chris Sutton told the BBC that he does think that the Liverpool forward Salah is the best player in the world at the moment. So we asked, do you agree? Uh, Salah certainly scored one of the best goals ever in the English Premier League two weeks ago. Uh, But is he better than Messi and Ronaldo? and everyone else right now uh, had lots of thoughts on this one and uh, with your comments here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu uh, Thanks Steve uh, First up is Amil Gerard Nke Ndongo in Cameroon saying Salah is good but not the best I think Robert Lewandowski Messi and Karim Benzema are better than him but he is the best at Liverpool Nana Adinkra in Ghana thinks Yes, he's the best. Uh, You can mention names, uh, but remember, those names you mention are strikers, number nines, uh, but Salah is a winger. And uh, beggar Kenneth Yima in Nigeria uh, says, at the moment, yes, but not better than Erling Haaland at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Jake's Shikodi in Namibia says, yes, of course, he's the best for now.
And uh, Vin Asha D. Pakama in Malawi says, yes, I agree 100%. Uh, but uh, disagreeing, here's a voice note from Mohamed Ba in the Gambia. I totally disagree with uh, Kisot India, you know, of the, uh, the former Newcastle player saying that uh, Mohamed Salah is the best player in the world. Uh, absolutely, Mohamed Salah is one of the best players in the world, but he's not the best player in the world at this moment. Uh, we've got some very great players, great talented players. Talk about Kylian Mbappe, who is playing for uh, Paris Saint-Germain. He's, one, he's, also, uh, he's another talent who has done fantastically well, you know, since last season to this season for Paris Saint-Germain. And of course, we have Alan Haaland also, who is doing very well for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, these are the players, uh, honestly, at this moment, uh, you can consider as, as the best players in the world. Uh, but uh, Mohamed Salah is doing fantastically well for Liverpool, so I consider him as the best player for Liverpool at this moment. And even more strongly against the idea that Salah is the best in the world right now, here's uh, Alimani Fofana. Salah is good, yeah. But who is the one working for him? It's Sajumani, he's the one doing the dirty work. Because uh, Sajumani, Salah cannot do nothing. Who is comparing Salah and Ronaldo and Messi? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I don't even, go. even Sergio Mane, I prefer him than Salah because he works harder than Salah. He's one working for Salah in the team. And also in the Gambia is Musa Kamara. I think Salah is not the best player in the world right now because Salah can't be better than Messi and Ronaldo. Currently, I don't see any player who is better than Messi and Ronaldo. But anyway, I respect Chris Sutton's opinion. Asala Bengalem in Morocco got in touch and posted, better than Messi and Ronaldo? No, Salah is good, but please don't compare him to the goats. And Alexandra John in Sierra Leone's view is that Mo Salah is the second best player behind Lionel Messi. John Abeiku Andofu in the Gambia says, currently he is one of the best after Ronaldo and Messi. The goal he scored against Manchester City was so good. And Francisco Dodoma in the Gambia says it might be too early to conclude he's the best in the world. I know he's a good striker and he has been helping his team and the goal he scored against Manchester City was superb. However, I don't think he is the best in the world. Patrick Villa, who is in Namibia, says Salah is the best forward in the world. And here's a voice note from Michael Mboka in the Gambia. For the last two weeks, I think he should be given even the best player for the last two weeks in the European Premier League. Uh, but when it comes to comparison uh, between Salah himself and <laughs> the goods, uh, being it Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, I think there's a huge difference there because those people are natural. Mohamed Salah is good, he knows how to score, he's, he knows how to maneuver in between the defenders and he's very fast. But we've seen Lionel Messi doing such you know, in, in most of his, his games. And as a matter of fact, he scored a very wonderful uh, goal, his first goal in, in Paris and German in the Champions League. Well, let's go to Egypt and Ala Fego says the Egyptian king Mo Salah, yes, he is the best. And Mohamed Yones emphasizes, look, he is a winger, but plays as a striker. Gemo Tinfon, a Cameroonian living in the USA, gave us his views. I do agree, Mohamed Salah is the best player on the planet so far this season. He has been consistent, scoring goals, playing hard, especially in big games, and definitely making the difference for his team. I like how confident, humble, and at the same time, how hungry he is to improve. He is enjoyable to watch, and I'm looking forward to many exciting things that he does on the field.
And uh, finally, from uh, Smart Eddie from Uganda, well, I think he's the best now, uh, given the fact that Messi and Ronaldo are now outdated. Messi and Ronaldo are just still stuck on our minds, uh, but no longer the best players in the world of football. So a lot of opinions there, some of them very strong. Uh, thanks, Ephraim. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Also, we heard from Keba Jalong Sane in the Gambia saying, yes, Salah is the player of the moment and his performances have been so great since he joined Liverpool. Thanks to everyone who got in touch. Always great to hear from you. Well, I'm joined by our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And there were very strong views from Belgium and Real Madrid keeper Thibaut Courtois uh, speaking after a Nations League match, saying that there are too many games these days. Uh, Courtois said they don't care about the players, they just care about their pockets, as he accused UEFA and FIFA of prioritising money over player welfare after Belgium were beaten 2-1 by Italy in the Nations League third-place playoff. Uh, This at a time when FIFA are considering having the World Cup every two years instead of every four years. Uh, What do you make of a Courtois comment, Stuart? Now, we already have a European Championship, so I think it's highly questionable whether we need a European Nations League as well. And with FIFA announcing that they would like to have a World Cup every two years, despite widespread opposition from UEFA and every major league in Europe, but Courtois is certainly right. Uh, that the justification for the new European competition and for a two-year World Cup is financial. There's certainly evidence of a higher risk of injury to players if they're playing too many games without recovery time. On the other hand, people might say if you're being paid a hundred or $200,000 a week, playing a few extra games is no real hardship, especially at club level when the clubs have such enormous squads that not every player plays every week. But I think I would certainly agree with Thibaut Courtois that it's all about money. Motivation is financial, nothing else. Yes, very outspoken there was a Thibaut Courtois, and that's a hot issue. Uh, Now let's talk about the Newcastle United takeover in the English Premier League, Stuart. Uh, Newcastle playing Tottenham this weekend, and a much richer club than they were two weeks ago when they lost 2-1 to Wolves. Uh, Yes, indeed. The news that Newcastle United have been bought by a Saudi Arabia-led consortium funded by the state's public investment fund uh, you know, I don't know how one works this out, but I've read that they're worth $300 billion, meaning that the club is potentially as rich as or even richer than Manchester City or Paris Saint-Germain, who also have owners from the Arab world. The reaction to the news has been mixed. But before we get into that, let me just give you some context. Newcastle is a city of 270,000 people, about 470 kilometres northeast of London. In recent years, Newcastle have at best been a middle-of-the-table Premier League club. They had an almost golden period at the end of the 1990s when they twice finished second in the Premier League with Kevin Keegan as manager and twice lost in an FA Cup final. But you have to go back to the 1960s when they last won a trophy. The club has been owned by Mike Ashley since 2004. Originally, he was very popular with supporters. He came across as a fan, watching games with the fans, not as a VIP. But gradually, supporters became more disillusioned with his unwillingness to put money into the club. The setup was great, an excellent stadium, 
52,000 capacity and a well-supported club. The new ownership and the potential money-no-object approach to success has been well-received by many supporters. On the other hand, dismay has been expressed by human rights organisations who point to the alleged brutalities, sexism and the alleged state involvement in the uh, murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, which the, the country is sometimes blamed for. It's expected that the Tottenham game that you mentioned will be the last one for Steve Bruce to be in charge as manager. But in terms of his replacement, I've seen at least 10 well-known names mentioned. Expect an announcement soon. Whether Newcastle can buy success and over what period is a good question. It's often said that players only want to come to a club which is in the Champions League. Well, Newcastle are second from the bottom and are unlikely, no matter what happens, to finish in the top four this year. Even if they succeed next season, we're talking about a player signing now, getting Champions League football at the earliest in 2023-24. Newcastle's location, being very far north in England, is also seen as a disincentive to international star players who prefer to be in London. Of course, Newcastle will be able to match anyone's wages, but I think they might still have a massive job persuading top world-class players at Real Madrid, PSG, Juventus or even Chelsea to sign for Newcastle just on the expectation that they could, in time, become one of the top clubs in Europe. It'll be fascinating to see whether the new owners of Newcastle United can make the club successful and if they can keep the local supporters on board as they do so. Um, With Newcastle United going into Saudi ownership, that now leaves only Brentford, Brighton, Norwich City and Tottenham as English-owned clubs. Six clubs, including Liverpool, Arsenal and Manchester United, have American owners. Two more clubs are partly owned by Americans. Wolves are owned by a Chinese consortium, Watford by an Italian, Leicester City by a family from Thailand, and of course Chelsea's owner is Russian. Egyptians, Iranians and a Swiss family are part owners of other Premier League clubs. The days when a local football club was the centre of the community, run by local businessmen, are long gone. Foreign investment has helped to make the Premier League the most lucrative sports league in the world, but it has come at a cost. With fans often feeling a bit disconnected from their club, think of the ongoing campaign against the Glazers, who are often accused of running Manchester United more from an interest in making money than success on the field. And after the failed Super League proposals, Arsenal's American owner was also under pressure to sell. Wow, really interesting. That that shows how things um, are changing in football in England. And to Stuart, Leicester, Manchester United on Saturday, the standout fixture this weekend with the Premier League back, and Manchester United entering a tricky run of games. Uh, yes, with Liverpool playing Watford and Manchester City at home to Burnley, both reasonably easy games, you might think, it's essential for Manchester United to get a result in their difficult away game at Leicester City. And with Harry Maguire already out injured and Rafael Varane picking up an injury in France this week, uh, United are without either of their first-choice centre-backs. And with important Premier League games and Champions League games coming up, it is, as you say, a really important time for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. History was made 
when England played Andorra in the World Cup qualifier last week, the referee was Katrina Munson from Ukraine, and she was accompanied by two female referees. Even the bar official was a woman. We understand that this is the first time that a senior men's international has had 100% women officials. Well, it really is a great stuff. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Before we go, our question on social media this week, uh, going back to those comments from Real Madrid goalkeeper Thibaut Courtois, uh, was he correct to say that there are too many games these days? Uh, Courtois speaking out after Belgium lost to Italy in the UEFA Nations League, uh, saying that uh, they don't care about the players. They just care about their pockets, uh, as he accused UEFA and FIFA of prioritising money over player welfare. Uh, So do you agree, or should players maybe not complain, as many of them are paid an awful lot of money? And this comes as FIFA is considering holding the World Cup every two years. Uh, So you can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp message to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Was Thibaut Courtois correct to say that there are too many games for the players these days? Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.